One of the things that is happening all over the country and all over the world is young people are being lost in the churches. Um, I think that um, a tragedy is that um, people don't understand how to keep young people in the church. And what has happened is compromise. What you don't want to do is teach the children from an early age that church isn't for them. You don't want to be pushing them out, out of the meeting where miracles are happening, where blind eyes are opening, where normal things are happening, um, into a cruddy little uh, room where someone who doesn't like the meetings is going to teach them to draw and to play and to and tell them silly little Bible stories that aren't really relevant to their lives. That doesn't help children. It, all it does is make the children feel that church is not for them. And that is wrong. And I like what Spurgeon said. Spurgeon said that if a preacher preaches a sermon that a five-year-old cannot understand, he's preaching above people's heads. And um, most preaching is um, so far above people's heads that it's not really accomplishing the purposes to which God sent us. It should be with simplicity we preach Christ. Everything in life is simple. Uh, you know, married couples, it's simple. Um, problems in life are simple. It's called sin. The answer is Jesus and the blood of Calvary washes from all sin. Uh, bringing up children is simple. Anything you do in life is simple. Uh, we look for super spiritual answers. You don't need them. You need super simple answers. And one of the things children love is they love to know that things work and are real. And, you know, in America they have a, an expression, PKs. And there's a lot of trouble with PKs. Pastors, kids. <laughs> and you wonder, well, why are the pastor's kids such a problem if the pastor is living a Christian life in a Christian home with Christian values? How do they end up on drugs? How do they end up with, uh, you know, illicit sex? How do they end up with, um, you know, all the things that go wrong? And, and you look and you wonder, well, what's wrong? Something's wrong. And where are they learning it from? Your children are a reflection of you. And, and realistically speaking, you've got to face up to issues. 
and no one faces them these days. My Bible says if a man can't rule his own house, he can't be in the ministry. But no one wants to accept God's standard anymore. They say, well, that's the ideal, but we live in the real world where, you know, your kids can end up on any... I'm sorry. I don't believe it. And I'll tell you what children love. They love boundaries set where they can be secure. They love things that are right. Uh, and I thought it'd be good this morning. My wife did her doctor of ministry, which is the highest practical degree you can get a doctor of ministry, um, on how to keep young people in the church. And comparing what's happening, I thought it'd be good for her to share. I'll let my wife take over. It's such a shame when you think that people are being sold a wrong gospel. Because it's so terrible to deceive people down here when they've got eternity to find out that they were wrong and that they'd been deceived. And um, it's a very serious thing when we think about what we're preaching and why, why we're saying what we're saying. If we're preaching to make people happy, then we're doing them a disservice if we don't lead them to a right relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, and really, um, my husband's been talking about the influence of the home, and um, I thought I would start with um, a verse that has been often quoted um, during this conference. It's um, Colossians 1.27. Um, I'm going to read verse 25 to 27. Wherefore, I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is... Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And when my husband was preaching this the other day, I suddenly realized that it had a whole different dimension to the one I had applied this verse. Because I had always thought of this verse as something personal. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that it was just dealing with the individual. And what suddenly came to my understanding was that this is what it's what is made manifest it's what when something is made manifest it's made known you can see it um, and so when people see someone who's alive in God they see the life of Christ in them and that is what is made manifest that is what is made shown and so 
when we live our lives um, in day-to-day -day happenings, because what we do in church is only an interlude. It's what happens out there that is important. What happens in our family is important. What happens at our workplace is important. What happens everywhere we are is important. People need to know that you um, are a Christian. But how will they know you're a Christian? By your words? Yes, by your words, but why, by how you manifest who you are. And um, we, it, it's been interesting. Um, we've, um, my husband and I um, used to stay in a certain, in a hotel opposite Oral Roberts University when we visited Tulsa. And uh, the staff at the, at the hotel said, to us after we'd been backwards and forwards several times. They said, do you know, they said, you're the only people who spend time with us and talk with us. Of all the different ministries that come through this place, you're the only people that talk with us. We were shocked. Uh, we were so shocked that that was their, their testimony. Um, and then we happened to be laughing with each other. We were walking through a shopping mall in Tulsa. We were laughing and joking with each other. We held each other's hands and uh, somebody walked, somebody came up to us and said, oh, goodness me, they said, you look so happy to be in ministry and you look so happy and you love each other and you're holding each other's hands. I said, that's amazing. <laughs> we, we just, whew, <laughs> it's just such a shock that people think like that. Um, and that that's their experience. Um, but you see, Christ in you, the hope of glory, is what is manifested to other people. And if they see that, if they can... Because people look at people, they watch, they want to know, they want to see. And if they can see Christ in you, the hope of glory, if that life of Christ, which is so wonderful, shines through... That is what they will see. And when in a family situation, that is what your children will see. Because a minister's um, life isn't easy. Um, whatever happens, there's always somebody who's trying to pull down what you're doing. There's always something happening in the ministry that's not easy to cope with. There's always fightings um, outside, there's always something going on that, some, that something's happening. But that's part of the package. And if we let those things affect our lives in the home, then our children see that. And they become very disillusioned with life in the ministry because they see what our parents, what their parents go through. And you can't hide what you go through because sometimes it's very painful. Sometimes it's very difficult. Um, but the thing is that despite that, our children need to know that the life of Christ is wonderful. The life, the hope of glory within us is tremendous. The thing that they need to see is that God is a good God. They need to know that although you go through these difficult times, you know that God is triumphant. You know that he sees you through every single situation and that they, what they mustn't hear from you is bitterness, discouragement, complaints, all these things that put children off. 
Um, in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 2, You are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshy tables of the heart. You are our epistle, seen and read of men. And parents are the epistle seen and read of their children. A minister's children are the epistle, uh, the ministers are the epistle seen and read of their children as well as their congregation. And so, but it's, that's what's manifest. That's what's clear for all to see. That's what is so wonderful. And the hope of glory within you is just tremendous. Christ in you is wonderful. Christ in you is everything. Christ in you is such a marvelous thing. Christ in you. I wouldn't change this life for all the world. I wouldn't have it any different. Despite all the difficulties, despite all the troubles, despite anything that happens, I wouldn't change it for the world. God has become more and more and more wonderful to me over the years. And he was wonderful to begin with. He's been more wonderful now. And we need to convey that to our children. We need to make them understand that Christ in you is the hope of glory. There's no other way which is more wonderful than what we have in God. And with this in mind, this is what I so desired for my own children, first and foremost. That was my one thing. We went, we travelled the world, as my husband said, PKs. We saw ministers' families destroyed because the children were so disturbed by what was happening in their parents' families. The devil attacks he knows where to attack. He knows where there'll be weaknesses. He knows how to bring a family down. He knows. And if something's happened in your family, if your children have gone wrong, don't let the enemy use that as a whipping post. Don't let him use it as a, as a, as a means to pull you down. Um, as a means to say that it's no good, I've not, I, 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 I can't manage, I can't cope. Because you need to have a victory in every situation. Other people will find that their children have gone wrong, maybe long before they became a Christian, maybe since they've become a Christian. But even if that has happened, you mustn't let the enemy have the victory because Jesus Christ in you is the hope of glory. Amen? Amen? And so this was my heart's desire. What was I going to do for my own children? How was I going to um, bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord? What was going to make the difference? Because when I did my thesis, I found out, for instance, this is the statistics from Barna in the US, 
that 43% of children before the age of 13 make a commitment to Christ. 21% added on to the 43% between 13 and 18, and 13% between 18 and 21. So that leaves only 23% of people make a commitment to Christ after the age of 21. So children, teenage years, is absolutely vital in their lives. And if they've come, if they're the children who are being brought up in the church, these, that is the time where we need to concentrate on bringing them to a place where they come to know Jesus Christ. Now that's not something we can um, dictate to God. That's not something we can uh, make happen. But what we can is create an atmosphere in which children have every opportunity to commit their lives to Christ and not be put off by what they see in the home. In the UK, in the last, since um, 1990 to 2000, um, a thousand children a week under the age of 15 were lost to the churches. A thousand children a week. That was 52,000 children a year under the age of 15. It's very destructive, very, dis, uh, very disheartening, those statistics. The one that really pierced me through to the heart was if you have six children, <laughs> and not many of us do, but if you did, as Christian parents, by the age of 25, only one of those children would still be left in church. That's in this country. Only one of those children would still be left in church. So that is just horrendous. That horrified me when I heard that statistic. It took me about two days to get over it. I just was... Oh, it just uh, so upset me to think. Bill Wilson, when he comes, he's, he's um, attacked it from another angle. He's seen in New York that um, the parents' generation is, um, uh, is out of it. There's no point trying to even tackle that generation. So he started with the children. Um, and he says that un it, by the age of 14... You're wasting your time because they're already set in the direction in which they're going. They're already um, got too much influence from outside sources. You cannot affect a child after the age of 15, 14. He says it's very rare. He says what we do is we concentrate on the younger ones. We concentrate, especially, he says, the most productive time is the 9 to 11 year olds. Um, and so, that's where he concentrates his whole effort and his whole um, mindset. And what we went to see when we were there last November was the fact that through the children, he has built a church uh, of the parents because the parents saw what was happening to their children and or else the children that he first went, because he's been there for 25 years, those children are now grown up and they're in his church. 
And so they're beginning to change the whole way in which things happen. And uh, he's absolutely committed to those children. He is amazing. And he comes to life in a way that you don't see outside his ambient. And it was just so wonderful to see him. He was driving his bus, which he loves to do on a Saturday. He has a klaxon and he has a fire... Um, Fire, um, a police siren uh, going and the children all pour out of the tenement buildings and as they get onto the bus they scramble up those great big bus stairs and they fling their arms around his neck and his whole face is alive and you know that's where he's called and that's what he's done and he's made such a difference and all over the world people are uh, using his model to try and reach um, the youngsters in so many different places. And yet, and God's given him his heart for, for the children who are lost. But we've got the children in the church. What are we doing for them? That's what's so important. If, I, if, I, if we lose the children that are in the church, that's crazy. That's where the next generation church is coming from. That's what's going to build up the church. If we lose those, Though that is just um, terrible. So we used, what I did was use our example as a model. Um, uh, and uh, one of the things that I did was um, give a seminar to ministers from this um, Global Gospel Fellowship and did a questionnaire with them. And one of the things that shocked me was... Um, I asked them the question, does being brought up in a Christian home automatically make someone a Christian? And 48% uh, of them said yes. <laughs> I was so shocked <laughs> uh, that they believed that, uh, and most of them came from Pentecostal, charismatic type situations, that they believed that being brought up in a Christian home made you automatically a Christian. I was shocked. Because that is the whole basis on which you need to um, approach children. Of course they're not going to be made automatically a Christian by coming, being brought up in a Christian home. That's what I, um, what, how I was brought up to believe that I would uh, automatically be, be a Christian because um, my parents were and that's what uh, blinded my eyes so much to the gospel, that belief that because I was brought up in a Christian home, I was automatically a Christian. And the thing that children need to understand, that God is the God of each generation. He cares about each generation. He's not, not just the God of the, fa the father's generation. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Amen? He's the God of Eunice, of Lois, and Timothy from the New Testament. He is the God of every generation, and he cares about every generation. He's not going to leave any generation without him being manifest to that generation in some way or another. Every generation is God's generation. He's not going to let his church die 
Jesus Christ is building his church and he builds it with each generation. No time does he leave a generation without the witness of God. Never, never, never. And the wonderful thing is that he, his, we have found as we begin to travel over the world, um, in, certainly in recently in these times, that God's Spirit is moving all over. And places where you thought God's Spirit wasn't moving, he's definitely changing and things are beginning to change. I was in Italy in um, June and uh, previously, you know, in our thoughts, really, Italy was considered to be very difficult terrain for the Christian gospel. But now things are beginning to change. Now you begin to realize that God is moving. Now the things are, t are turning round. Now God is doing something different. In this country, we realize that God is doing something different. We realize that things are beginning to change. We realize that God is is, cha is changing the circumstances. It's very exciting. It's wonderful. And each generation has something special that God wants to do through them and by them and for them. And it's just amazing how he is doing these things. But he is the God of each generation. And it's just wonderful to see what he does. And uh, in 2 Timothy, um, Paul tells Timothy in, verse, in chapter 3 and verse 15, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. From a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. And one of the things that um, my husband didn't mention, but is, which I think is so important in our bringing up of our children, is that in the school they learn the Scriptures from a very early age. When my husband first said to the teachers in the school that the children are going to learn... Um, depending on their ability, their age, they're going to learn big chunks of scripture. By the time they get to senior school, they're learning 15 verses or whole chapters. And they ha not only have to learn them for a month to say them perfectly, the following month they have to write them out once a week, spelling perfect, punctuation perfect. And then in the in the then they're also learning another memory verse in, the, in, the, in that week, on that month where they're writing it out and um, doing it punctuation perfect, spelling perfect. And one of the things that the um, inspectors were saying is, we don't know how your children do what they do. They're average children when they start in, their, in your school, but by the time they get to the end of your school, they're the tops. How do you do it? And one of the things is, I'm sure, we develop their memories. And this is not what is taught in education circles. It's poo-pooed, the whole idea of it. And yet what, what Jesus, the way Jesus would have been taught, was that he had to repeat verbatim what his teacher told him. 
That's how the Hebrew education system was. And um, so we need to look back and learn and say, hey, what's going wrong with our education system? They don't learn to spell. They don't learn to punctuate. They don't learn grammar. They don't learn anything. But if you teach them those principles from an early age with the scriptures, where they have them embedded into their hearts. And by the time the children learn the memory verses, the parents have to learn them too, because <laughs> they have to listen and uh, get them to repeat them. And uh, I think that's been a wonderful... And if a child has gone off, if, uh, when very few of our children have gone off, they've got those memory verses embedded in their lives and in their hearts and they know one day when they start to think what have I done with my life those memory verses will come back because you've put the word of God into their lives you've 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 done a groundwork that can't be taken away because it's there forever what you learned as a child sticks <laughs> isn't that true <laughs> amen so you've got a secret weapon there <laughs> that, that somehow the Spirit of God will move upon and somehow he'll bring alive again because it's there. It's a foundation. You can't get it rid of it. And that's what's so wonderful. Timothy knew the Holy Scriptures from a child. Amen? And God commended Abraham... Um, he said, I, I will tell you what's going to happen in Sodom and Gomorrah. And the reason he commended him, let's look at this in Genesis 18, verse 19. Uh, verse 17, and the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I know him, this is what God knew about Abraham, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. That's what God knew about Abraham, that he would command his children and his household after him, and that they should keep the way of the Lord and do justice and judgment. That's what I wanted most of all, for God to know about me, that I had taught my children the way of the Lord. Not so that it was a legalistic, binding, horrible thing where you fought so where children automatically want to rebel because it's so legalistic, but because it's something that is such a wonderful life, as that God is such an exciting God, that God is such a loving God, that God takes care of every situation, that they know that God is a good God. And in the Old Testament, um, life instruction was never divorced from life. And so God said to the fathers, he said, when you're walking in the way, when you're sitting down, when you're standing up, when you're having a meal, 
When life is going on and your children start to ask you questions, stop and talk to them and tell them all about the wonderful things that God has done. Don't let any opportunity go by without telling them of all the wonderful things. And uh, every opportunity we need to take to make our children realize that life in God is wonderful. Life in God is everything. Life in God is so fantastic. But not only do they need to hear the words, they need to see it. They need to see the epistle seen and read of men. They need to see it. Because you can say it with words, but if they see something different in the home, they're going to, well, they're going to, they know. They're not stupid. Children are very smart. One of the things that um, I've come across in my studies is that there's a great deal of difference in opinion with theologians about Proverbs. And uh, they think, because Proverbs is one of the books in the Bible with the most instruction about bringing up children. Um, And most theologians say you can't take the things that are said in Proverbs as promises from God. They're just um, useful sayings. Um, And to me, I'm glad I didn't know that when I brought up my children. (laughs) I really am. (laughs) Because I took Proverbs as a word from God. I took Proverbs as an encouragement. I took Proverbs as, you take it literally. If this is what the Bible says about bringing up children, this is the way you do it. Um, And uh, so that verse, which everybody knows, um, bring a child in the way that they should go, Bring up a child, in, and when he's old, he will not depart. This is in Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way that he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. Well, I took that literally, and so did my husband. We believed that what God said. We took it as a promise um, that if we did it so, God would do his part and keep the child. Obviously, that doesn't always happen. No matter what you try and do, some children do go, wander off. And so the usual interpretation of this verse is to say, well, if they wander off, they'll come back when they're old. Well, I do believe that's possible too. But the thing that we took it this verse to mean is that if we bring up our children right, if we train them right, they won't depart. And they don't have to wander off. They can stay in the things of God. We know from Jesus' childhood that he was very well taught, respectful of authority, and obeyed his parents. In Bible times, the, the father, not textbooks, Audiovisuals or brightly coloured classrooms was the main instrument of the learning process. As a teacher of his children, the father served as a living and dynamic communicator of divine truth. And uh, we know that um, when God spoke, when God chose Jesus' earthly father, 
he took great trouble in finding someone that he could trust. And he communicated to Joseph what he wanted to happen to Jesus. Yes, he communicated to Mary to tell her that she was going to have a son and that the child would be born of the Holy Ghost. But he also, once the child was born, communicated to Joseph what was to happen with his son. And he must have, and as a, as a wonderful, loving, heavenly father, he chose Joseph for a special reason. He chose Joseph because he knew that Joseph would go the right way. Joseph was very troubled when he found out that Mary was pregnant. He thought, what's the best thing to do? Um, do I put her away? Or what do I do? And the Holy Spirit, uh, God used... Um, the angel to speak to him, saying, no, don't do that. Don't do that. And Joseph was willing to listen. He was willing to hear. He was willing to do what God wanted him to do. And each time God gave him a direction in his life, he went and did it. And, uh, you know, the angel came to him and said, take the baby and the mother and go to Egypt. Well, I'm sure that was the last place he wanted to go. Um, you know, he could have said to God, well, that's crazy. Fancy going to Egypt. Who wants to go there? Um, but he was instantly obedient. And off he took um, jo uh, Mary and Jesus off to Egypt. He was someone who was willing to obey God. And that's why I'm sure God chose him to be the father of his only son. We know that Jesus was respectful of his parents even when he went into the temple. And uh, at the age of 12, and his, uh, his parents, he couldn't, they couldn't find him. But once they found him and, came, and he went back with them to home, the Bible records that he was respectful of his parents. He, he did what they told him and they, he went back with them, even though he knew inside himself that he had to be about his father's business. But his father's business included being respectful of his parents. Jesus introduced a whole different attitude to children in his ministry because children were considered the lowest of the low. Uh, the only person that was below them in society were the servants or the slaves. Children were next on the, in the heap. <laughs> but Jesus showed a whole different attitude to children. And uh, the disciples, we, we, we learn that through the times when the, they brought the children to Jesus to be blessed. And the disciples were disgusted. Fancy bringing children to bother the master. But that's what Jesus, he, he used it as an object lesson. He said to them, don't let, um, send the children away. Of such is the kingdom of heaven. When there was a big dispute amongst these mighty men of God, who was the best? <laughs> it must have really made them so mad when <laughs> Jesus took a little child <laughs> and said unless you become like a little child you cannot enter the kingdom of God that must have just because children were nothing a 
And yet Jesus put a whole different standard about children. When he rode in triumph into Jerusalem and they went into the temple and the children were crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. The priests and the Pharisees were as mad, as mad, as mad. How dare you let the children cry out, they said to Jesus. And he said, well, who else will if they won't? (laughs) Jesus had set a whole different standard about children. Children are part of the kingdom of God. We cannot neglect our children. I don't want them to have a second-hand relationship. I don't want them to have, uh, expect them to uh, believe in God because it's, he's my God. I want them to know him for their God too. And that is what my whole desire and heart has been in bringing up my children. We all know what Paul's qualifications for an elder were, that they should bring up their families in the fear and admonition of God. That's what he... I've got a quote here from Spurgeon, which says, When I see so many children of Christians turn out worse than others, when I find some of the sons of ministers among the ringleaders in sin, what can I do but pray that I may sooner die than have such a curse fall upon myself. If any of us have neglected home duties, let us beware, lest we have the blood of our children laid at our door. Um, And Martin Lloyd-Jones says, Christian families have a unique opportunity of witnessing to the world at this present time by just being different. George Barner says, Family is the basic building block of our society. It is the most important set of personal relationships we will ever experience. It is one of the it is the core of the Christian community and it represents the domain in which we are likely to achieve our most significant influence. In the new world of the church, you and I must think of family as a major priority. So much of our lives is spent um, particularly in this modern day, how we can earn more money, how we can do this, how we can do that, that our children get neglected. Families are so separated. Um, even, in, if even if they are the main core family still, then as um, Charles was saying, they don't eat meals together. They don't um, communicate together. Everybody's doing their own thing. Everyone's separated. Everyone's different. And yet, it's so important that it's just a simple thing like this, which you would think would be common sense, is for a family to sit down together to a meal and talk together. That is so important. And yet, it gets neglected. Because everybody's busy doing their own thing. Everyone wants to get on with what they're doing instead of making that a priority. Making family time a priority. Now, it doesn't mean to say that you have to make the family a god. Because that's not the way children learn the right idea either. 
because then they start to think, well, I, we have a right to have this and that and the other. They have a right to be submitted to the work of God. My, ch my children and our children understood that the work of God came first. They understood that. Now, many, many ministers I hear say that family comes first. I'm sorry, but the work of God comes first. But when that, we don't neglect our children. In that, we need to make sure that our children don't feel completely neglected and left aside. But God comes first. Always. Always. But don't let the next generation of the church be lost. They're the future. They're the church of tomorrow. And all I can say is that God was faithful. That desire in my heart that I wouldn't let my children grow up hating the things of God. The last thing I wanted to do was that has proved God has been faithful the whole way through. Amen? God bless you all.